let's get into God's Word, right? Let's go to the Bible. That's what we're in for. And so thus far, we talked about God's Word and why it's so important that we get a good grasp on it, uh, that uh, what it is. We discovered that, that the Bible is not just a book. It's actually a bunch of books. It's a library, 66 of them to be uh, precise in there. And those 66 books came from real people and real history that uh, God shaped the, the history of, of the the world, and he also shaped the people who wrote these Bibles to make sure that they were perfectly um, suited to be his, his instrument to, to write his Holy Scripture to us at just the right time and just the right way. And so the Bible is, it's a book of, from history, it's a book from real people, but it's more than that, it's a book from God. It's God's message that is behind it, and that's really what makes it most important uh, to us. And uh, how did we get it? We discovered that the Bible came to us through history, right? There was, uh, there was great copies that were made of other copies, but they were basically letter-for-letter letter accuracy in all the different languages. It's the only uh, writing in a history of the world that is now in every single language. That is phenomenal. Uh, it's an amazing thing. But it's carried throughout time, thousands of years. Uh, we, have, we know that every single letter that is in here is matches with the originals that were given. We know that the books that were in here were not chosen just by a council of people. Uh, but there was those wonderful qualifications that we see from Scripture that even from the very first readers, the first writers of it, they had to, to say, no, this is definitely God's Word. It had to, to match with the rest of Scripture. It could tell us new things, but never anything that was conflicting with what came before. We uh, knew that uh, it had to have this, uh, this ring of truth of Scripture in it that allowed us as a church to understand like from the very beginning uh, that this was more than just the writings of leaders. We have Paul wrote other letters that we know that aren't in here. They had uh, but these were ones that came to us from God. And what are the evidences that we have that these came from God? And we talked about that again last week, that there's three enormous uh, evidences. There's lots of them. Uh, you could actually get your doctorate in the evidences of this. But the evidences that I, we find most profound in there, the first one is the timeless truths that this, these writings contain. Despite the fact that it was 66 books written in three different languages on three different continents over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, right? There's this theme, this amazing, amazing theme that goes all the way through it that is, talks about the most important things in life, who God is, his very nature, what is good, what is evil, why is it there, what is the consequences of that, what does it mean to come back to God, how is someone saved? All of these themes, amazing themes with perfect unity. But more than that, we see that there's these timeless truths about how life is to work and to be lived. And, you know, this, it's just as relevant today as it was written thousands of years ago. And think about any other thing that you've tried to read that's just as relevant today that was written even last week, right? It's amazing. These timeless truths that are just as relevant now is one of the evidences that this came from more than the mind of people. On top of that, we have the evidences, the mark of supernatural uh, or divine intervention in it, and these things called prophecies. The scriptures contain hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, of things that were predicted into the future that actually we can look back now and see that they actually took place. I mean, just a few things, like not like Nostradamus prophecies, you know, like the rooster will crow at dawn or something like that. And everyone's like, oh, the rooster crowed. He's a genius, right? No, like specific prophecies, specific things. Like, oh, the Messiah is going to come, but he's going to be part of this particular family. And we're going to be able to trace his lineage down. And he's not going to be born in his regular. He's going to be born in this little tiny hamlet called Bethlehem. That's where the Messiah will be born. 
And not only will he be born there, but he's not going to be raised there. He's going to spend some time in Egypt, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to grow up in another area called Nazareth. I mean, to predict some of these crazy things, that the Messiah, not only would he have these things, but, but his ministry would be marked by particular miracles that turns out that Jesus just happened to do. And more than that, that this Messiah would save the world by dying, which is a crazy prophecy. But more than that, it tells us some very specific things, even when he died, that he would be, die in such a fashion that other people would be able to see him. He'd be on display. And then as he died, that, that he wouldn't have any of his bones broken, but his, but his flesh would be ripped. And not only all of that, but that as he was dying, the people that were crucifying him, the crowds and everyone would be harassing him. And not only did it predict that, but it says the very soldiers or the people that were there killing him would take his clothes and would figure out who was going to keep his clothes based upon uh, by ch- a game of chance, by casting lots. That's pretty specific. And if that wasn't specific enough, it said that this guy, after he died, this Messiah, would be buried in a cave, but not his own tomb. It would be a rich man's tomb. And not only that, but that he would only stay there for three days. There's a specific prophecies in this. Jesus has over 300 very specific prophecies about Jesus alone. And there's plenty of others. But you could read in there the book of Daniel that tells about the history of the world. We're really talking from the Babylonian Empire all the way down to the Roman Empire in great detail. Not just that these empires would exist and what they would be like, but how they would exist. Like which king would marry which daughter, which other king, and have which kind of alliances at which time would cause which kind of wars which would allow the world to be set up for the time of the Messiah. I mean, with precision. There are so many prophecies in Scripture that are so precise that we can know with absolute confidence this is not the work of just humans. Because it's a work of God, it doesn't surprise us. The third proof that I would like always point to is that it's powerful that has the power to transform people. And not just you, but it has had the power to transform me. That this, this book, this, this library of, of God's love to us transforms us. It's transformed me. I know in my own life how God has changed me. Talk to my wife. She will tell you. Loving, more joyful, with greater amount of peace, far, far more patient, gentle in kindness, goodness, self-control. I've seen the Word of God do things in me that I tried by my own effort to affect in my own character, my own life, and my own change, and I couldn't break free. But as I began to read it, trust it, allow it to correct me, I began to obey it, apply it to my life, I saw God not just change my life, but change me and change me profoundly. I've seen him do it for my my wife over the last 20-some years that we've been married. She started out awesome. Now she's like phenomenal. I've seen it, though. I've seen how the Word of God has gone into her life and taken away anxiety and replaced it with peace. Now I've seen how the Word of God has transformed so many people. No other book does that. The evidence of the divine authorship of this is the very evidence of of our lives. And if it is God's word and it is powerful, then it is our authority. 
that we don't judge the word. We don't say, well, God, I don't think that you're right, or I disagree with your morals, or I disagree with how you phrase things. We say to God's word, wow, when I disagree with you, there's something off in me. There's a problem here, and I'm grateful that you showed me. Help me now apply this to my life. Help change me. We know what the Bible is. We know how to use it now. We talked about how because it's such a powerful tool, it's a sword of the Spirit. It's super-duper sharp, right? And as this very sharp tool, it can be wielded for good or for evil, right? We even see in the gospel how the devil even tried to use Scripture against Jesus. And how many of us in our own lives have had Scripture used against us wrongly? Somebody applying, hacking us down, or we've seen that happen. The misuse of the word is a powerful and dangerous thing. But just because it can be misused doesn't mean it shouldn't be used. It means that now we have an obligation and a responsibility to use this amazing, powerful tool right. So we talked about last week, how do we do that? And it starts by getting a good grip on it. We have to know the Word of God. Do you remember the, the little thing I shot with your hands? That we begin by hearing it, and you're all here doing that right now? That community of coming together and listening to the Word together keeps us from kind of taking the Word of God and coming up with our own harebrained ideas of how it should be applied some kind of crazy way. That's why it's important to be part of a fellowship in the church. But we don't just hear it. We don't just get it here and do that. We, 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 we read it ourselves. And yes, that includes, you can listen to it audio because we live in an age of miracles. But yes, we get into the Word yourself. And we don't just read it, but at some point we, we want to study it. We want to go and mine the gold out of the ground, right? We want to get the jewels. We spend time with it. We go into like Bible studies and things like this to, to discover what is it really saying in, in a deeper level. And as we do that, we memorize God's Word. We don't just keep it out there or keep it in here, but we allow God's Word to be, take it into our own heart and our own soul. Which is why every week, in a second, we're going to do this, memorize God's word. So that way it's impressed upon us. So even if I don't have a paper copy, I have the spiritual copy inside of me that is always at work doing what it's supposed to do. And as we memorize God's word, we also meditate on God's word. We think about what it says and we practice that ancient and beautiful form of Christian meditation which is just really thinking about the word. We ask ourselves those wonderful questions. What does it say? What did I just read? <laughs> what does it mean? And how does it apply? And as we do that prayerfully throughout the day, and as we think about as we've read in the morning, and what we've read, and, and what does it mean, and how does it apply, the Holy Spirit does work alongside us. As we, and as he reveals the application in our lives, now we have the last portion of it, is that we apply it which is the ultimate grasp of God's word. That's the power. And in order to be able to do that, we have to develop a strategy and a plan, which is why we are going to be reading the word of God together this year, building that beautiful habit of getting the word inside of us. But before we do that today, we're going to talk about why do we even need it? Why is the word of God so important that you should build this habit? You see how powerful it is. You see all these other things, but why do you need it? Why is it important for each of us? As we begin that, of course, we want to then uh, start with our Bible memory, 
And this is the last time we'll be doing this fun uh, uh, way of memorizing scripture this time. Maybe I'll bring it back some other time, but I do know this helps some. And so uh, if you're new with us today, welcome. Glad that you're here. Just bear with us and, and use your imagination. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, let's test ourselves and see how well God's word has stuck into our hearts and our lives as we walk around the stage uh, using our our, our great memories. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. 2 Timothy 3.16. Woo! You guys did so good. Give yourself a hand. Yay! Now, you may know this now, but you might forget it later. So walk around the stage in your mind this week, right? Give yourself a chance to go to each of these places. Remember what God's Word says, but then also, what does it mean? And how does it apply? Right? So memorize, meditate, apply. Good stuff. If you want to, don't like doing, use your imagination, on your connection card, there is also just the old traditional way, which we'll go back to next week, which just has the le- first letters of those things, and we encourage you to spend time with God's Word. Now, and since we've read th- or memorized it, let's go back to that passage. We started the series with the passage of 2 Timothy. Let's go back to it here on this last one. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. If you uh, are using one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 833. And if you need a Bible, got plenty of it in the back, you can use one. And if you don't have a Bible, we invite you to keep it. That would be our gift to you today. Now, 2 Timothy, of course, was Paul's second letter to Timothy, who was a younger uh, leader in the church. And Paul wrote this near the end of his ministry. He was, he was in prison. He was about ready to die, be executed. And he was going to pass on the mantle of leadership to Timothy, who he spent his life training up. This is a very heartfelt letter um, talking about really important things. And Timothy is now going to have the mantle of church leadership, a very important church. And Paul is, is handing this over through the Holy Spirit. God uh, guided this particular writing. And so in the middle of it, we find Paul talking about something, unsurprisingly. It's how important Scripture is and how it's to be used in the church. And that's why we're, we're there today. And so in chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have become convinced of because you know from those whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know the first thing you're probably saying is, how come those words are different than the ones we just memorized? <laughs> because we memorized it in a different version, the NLT. Why? Because it was much easier to find graphics for the NLT, right? <laughs> but this is the thing. It's based upon the same word, same, it's the same message, exact same thing. And so this one just kind of breaks it down a little bit more, and that's why we're going to be talking about it through the NIV today, right? In this passage, we're going to be talking about three things that the scriptures do for us. Paul tells Timothy that scriptures are supposed to be used in the church and we need to make sure that we're based on scripture and our lives are based on it. And he gives us three reasons why, three things uh, why we need scripture. And the first one is that we need scripture because the Bible prepares us. The Bible's purpose is to bring us preparation. And you see that there in that verse, what, 15, or sorry, verse 16, that all scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, right? It's that training, Right? It's, it's that preparing for what God wants us to do. 
that you are, um, the moment you are saved, you are God's child, right? You, he's been given, you've been res- given a, a high position. He calls you his ambassador from day one, right? He, you are called his, his child, a saint of the kingdom, right? All these wonderful things, but just because you have those things doesn't mean you're ready to go into battle, right? And if you, uh, what, uh, next week there's a little football game going on, some of you might know about, right? Those guys showed up, right, uh, for practice way long time ago in the summertime, right? Some of them were drafted in, some of those football players, they were part of the team, right? Some got to be chiefs, and some of them unfortunately had to go to the Niners, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. So they were drafted, they're part of the team, but just because they're part of the team, do you think they would have a winning season if that's all they got? The coach says, all right, we'll see you in uh, January at the Super Bowl. They're like, we wouldn't get to be part. They had to be prepared, they had to be equipped. They had to learn the playbook. They had to get their equipment checked out. They had to know each other on the team. There was a lot of stuff to do. Just because you're on the team doesn't mean you're ready. It's the same way for us in Christ. That once we become Christians, you are on God's team. You are in his family. You are loved. You have a place. But you are not just intrinsically ready to go to battle. You're not intrinsically ready to live this life successfully. Right? God is preparing us, training us in the right way. That's one of the purposes of Scripture. And so as a Christian, if you come to Christ and you are saved, that's great. That is wonderful. That's fantastic. But you will not be effective. You will find all kinds of problems in your life. You'll feel ill-prepared for what it comes if we do not spend time in the Word. And how does the Bible prepare us? What is it that the Bible does in our lives that prepares us? Well, it tells us in there that it's God-breathed, right? It comes from God. It's got this use. It teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. Another way of saying that, it prepares our character. But our character is kind of the inner motivation of who you are, right? It's, not, it's, it's, it's how we live our lives. And one of the things the Bible does is it begins, it corrects our, it prepares our character to handle this world, if you find that you have difficulty being honest, or you have difficulty being pure, or you have difficulty being brave, or you have difficulty being uh, forgiving, these are all issues or something in our character that needs to develop. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you, that you have these difficult things, but it does mean that your character needs to grow. And every one of us has broken character, right? Every one of us has a moral compass that's askew. Every human thinks that they know what's right, and that's why we have all these fights, because we disagree with each other. Most profoundly, we disagree with God, which is why every one of us, when we go to the Word, it's going to offend us. But when it does, it doesn't show there's anything wrong with God. It shows us there's something wrong with us, something profoundly, deeply wrong. And one of the things the Word of God does is it doesn't just tell us what is good. It begins to prepare our very character. It changes us. It it realigns our motives back to God's motives. It allows us to see right for right and wrong for wrong. It's an amazing thing. And so... One of the purposes of Scripture, then, is to correct our character, to make us the type of people who act more and more like the saints that God has called us to. In one place in Scripture, it actually says, it helps us to live up to that which we've already attained. Isn't that beautiful? It's a great thing. And so if you're going through the Word and you're not finding your character changing, perhaps you're not applying it in the right way. (laughs) But as you go through the Word, And as we read the scripture, our expectation is that God is going to be changing us deeply, profoundly, making us, uh, preparing our character to live the life that God has called us to. And so doing the next thing it prepares, not just character, but also our faith. Faith is trusting that which can't be proven, 
right? And you all exercised an enormous amount of faith by coming here today. Now, there's all kinds of things that you did this morning that you exercised faith, right? You got up and you didn't test to make sure that your clothes, like all, every single seam on your clothes was holding firm. I mean, you came out here and risked embarrassment, right? What if your clothes just fell apart? And you, most of you got into cars, that you didn't check to make sure that nobody put, you know, like uh, water in your engine so that the gas would run out halfway through or break. You didn't check to make sure, most of you, that the lug nuts weren't loosened up, right? Most of you just got in your cars and drove here by faith. You trusted. And when you got here, you walked inside trusting by faith that the door wouldn't fall off the hinge, that somebody actually put nails in all of the boards that, on the ceiling and the roof and all that kind of stuff that I didn't put a tack in your seat that you couldn't see until you sat down. None of you probably tested that. You did a lot of things today by faith thus far. In fact, if you don't live by faith, you're what's called crazy. All of us exercise great faith. The question, though, is your faith right? We can exercise faith in the right things or in the wrong things. And so how are we supposed to know if I'm placing good faith or bad faith? Well, oftentimes we would say, you know, for us, we would say, well, it seems reasonable enough to me that it's good, so it must be good. But does that really, is that really uh, pass the test of, of, of real scrutiny? How about this? How about let's look at the medical history of the world. There was a time not very long ago that it was believed and people thought very much that, that what created health in a body was a balance between four different fluids, the four humors. And if you got sick, it was because there was an imbalance in one of those. And so, you know, you might have to, that's where we had the idea of, of bleeding people, like they just might have had too much blood. Now, it was out of honesty and through the best science of the time that people trusted these things. And so by faith, they would be sick and not feeling good. And they would say, doctor, slice my arm, please. By faith. And did it help? No. Some of the times they got better in spite of but oftentimes there was a lot of big consequences. Infections, people would bleed out. It was bad. Just because we have honest faith doesn't mean we have good faith. See, God wants us to have good faith. He wants us to believe in what is actually going to help us, which is one of the chief things the Bible does. It prepares our faith. So we wouldn't just believe things, but we would believe the right things to place our faith in what is actually good. And he's given us the good reason. It's reasonable to have faith that the Bible says is true. All of the evidence is that it came from God. And if he doesn't know what's right, well, then uh-oh. But chances are he knows what's right better than any other person or any other society or any other group of people that got together and invented a way that they say is right. So God prepares our faith. As we read the word, it's going to challenge us. It's going to see things that we don't see, right? It's going to shine lights on things that, that we, at the, this point we hadn't had the capacity to understand. But we can trust that what it's saying is true and trustworthy. And that faith allows us to live a much better life, even if we don't fully understand why, we still get the benefit of it. Another thing that the Bible prepares us in is it changes our hearts. Unlike our, our character, our character is kind of, uh, it affects how we go through life. Our heart is really just the basic of who you are. I'm not talking about your, your, you know, your heart, like your cardiac portion. I'm talking about the core of who you are. The Bible changes us, not just how I act, not just my ability, my character to act in this world in a way that's true to, to that, but it changes who I am at a very core level. So we started out, the scripture says that we were made in the image of God, 
the, the supreme objects of his creation, all these wonderful things that God made you in his image in a beautiful and amazing way, but we lost a lot of that, every one of us. Every one of us traded a lot of the good things that God had for us. We have the sin nature that we inherited, yay. And our moral compasses are broken. And then we would do the wrong things and we identify with the wrong things. And oftentimes we elevated ourselves or others into position like uh, we worship the wrong things. And worship isn't always just having an idol on a stand that we, you know, sacrifice cats and dogs to, Right? Idols are whatever our life revolves around if it's not God. And so our time and, and all of our abilities, right, and even our, 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 our wealth, we throw at and invest in these things in this world that do not bring us life. We go after dead relationships or even good relationships, but they can't save us. We go after careers. We go after things. We go after prestige. We go after all kinds of things, and we have these idols in our lives. And these idols begin to, instead of being children of God, we become children of these very th- dead things. And we act like that. How many people have destroyed great relationships because they were worshiping their work? Or their kids? Or their health? Or their looks? Or their comfort? God has called us to be something different and His Word changes us. It reminds us of who God really made us to be. When we were baptized and we died to ourselves and received that new life in Christ, it's not just a a flowery way of saying you can be different and live different. It says you are different. There's a fundamental change that God does in us, and we learn to grow and to live in that. As we work through the Word, it's not just that I become more loving, right? But as a very fundamental portion of my character. Love is part of who I become. And love is the opposite, by the way, of selfishness. And so I'm able to do things like care for another person genuinely. Not just I have the capacity to care for one, I would have the character to do it. I will do it even if I don't feel like it, but eventually I will then really care for another person. I'll be kinder, not because I have to be, but because God is making me a kinder person. I will be more patient not because it's just the right thing to do, because deeply inside of me, God is making me into a person that recognizes I'm I'm His eternally. I can trust Him. I won't act good. God will make me good. Think about that. God's Word prepares us in that. That's what it does. It's what it says that it does. It, it thoroughly equips us, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. It makes us, from the very heart out, into the very people God has called us to be. How amazing is that? But God's Word does more than just prepare us. It, it, it does something else. In the Word, we find that it does is equips us as well. And it's like this. Um, we had uh, a couple of uh, folks from our church who went to Haiti a few years back after they had that horrible earthquake, if you remember that. And when they went in, they had medical training, they were doctors, and they went in, and uh, it was awful. And there were some of the first in, and I remember we prayed for them and sent them, and they had all the training, right? They had thoroughly prepared as far as their abilities to go into that 
difficult, difficult place. And when they went, they found chaos everywhere, right? It was just chaotic. The whole infrastructure had fallen apart. It was awful. And they went in and they saved a lot of people's lives and they helped a lot of people. But one of the things they found while they were there, they were frustrated, is that while they had all the knowledge to do great things, they didn't have all the materials they needed to do to save all the lives they could have. So while they saved many lives, they saved a fraction of the number of people they could have saved had they had all of the things they needed. You see, the Word of God is not just going to prepare you. It's not going to just change you and and shape you so that you're ready to handle this Word. It actually gives you the tools you need to face this world successfully, to do what you need to do. And let's start. I mean, does it matter to have first the the training more than, than, than the equipment? Yes. I mean, if you sent me to Haiti, and even if I had a perfect hospital filled with stuff, more people would have died, right? We have to start by letting God change us. But as it changes us, God equips us and empowers us through it. And that's what it says. It says that Scripture is, is great, uh, verse 17, that, that it corrects us and trains us in righteousness. And get this, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. But I want you to take just a, in your Bibles, go back just a couple words. And the very first words of verse 17, so that. You can circle those words. Those are powerful words. There's a so that. The word of God is amazing. It, it, scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, unfortunately, stop there. We have Bible studies. We read through the Bible in a year. We've got study Bibles. We've got little life groups that we'll meet together. We'll talk about God's word. We will agree with God's word. We will be thoroughly believing that these things are true. But we stop there. There's a so that. God gave us his word so that. There's a reason that he gave us this. There's something he's expecting for his word to do in us. And it's not just to know it. It's not just to believe it. The so that. The servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God gave us this so we would have everything we need. Everything you would need so that you can go do what needs to get done. And not just some good works. I like that too. It's not like, well, I don't know if I need what the Bible has to say about this good thing. No, the Word of God's going to equip me, empower me to do what it needs to be done. I will have what I need. How does the Bible equip me? The first thing it does is it teaches truth. Truth is a powerful, powerful tool, right? It, it, the Word of God and, and, and the Psalms, when the Psalms says it, that the Word of God is a lamp for our feet, it's a light for our path. In other words, it's a great flashlight. And think about flashlights. Why do you have flashlights? Because truth matters, right? If you're walking through your house at night, you would like to see the world as it truly is, not as your like, semi-dream state you thinks it might be, right? If you're walking through the house as you think it might be, you might step on a Lego. Yeah, truth hurts sometimes. Truth is what actually exists, and the Word of God shows us the way that the world truly is so we can interact with it in a right, good way. And so when we see in the Word of God, it, it equips us for that. I see that it says that people are not our enemy. But we don't fight against flesh and blood, against other people, against principalities in the, in the, in the heavenly realm, but also bad ideas and things like that too. So when I have a war in this world, am I fighting against a person or for a person? Neither. I'm fighting for God. 
The person is somebody that I can love because God loves them. But I can hate bad ideas. And how do I know they're bad ideas? Because truth shines upon them. And we see those bad ideas are hurting people, oftentimes those who hold them. When I see that, though, how I fight is different. You know, if I thought that, you know, you were my enemy, it'd be really easy for me to just slice you down. But when I see that you are a hostage, that you're somebody I love, well, then I can attack the real things, the real problems. The Word of God illuminates this world in a very, very powerful way. Oh, let's take something more practical. How about, uh, how about our own financial security? Isn't that something that, w- that we look at in this world? Everyone's, am I going to be okay? And Jesus even said, the world, the pagans, this is what they fills their thoughts and their minds 24-7. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I gonna, what am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? So doesn't this occupy their thoughts all of the time? This is a pretty practical thing. What does the Word of God have to say on this? Doesn't God love you more than he loves birds, flowers? If you're his child, don't you think that he has enough and the ability to care for you? That you don't have to worry about these things? The Word of God shows truth that our God is a very real practical God. He says, this is what I want you to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Worry about him. God will worry about you. He'll take care of you. Everything that you will need. If you trust him, he'll be there. That's the truth of the matter. The Word of God teaches us how to live this life in a much better way because think about it. If you think that you can provide for yourself any level of security, can you? Which of us in a moment wouldn't be, have our finances destroyed if we just got terribly sick, couldn't go to work? We're one illness away from bankruptcy, almost all of us. We're one catastrophe, one more flood away from losing our homes or a fire from losing everything or a stock market crash. Do we find security in this world? How about if you had a stroke and you lose your ability to do the things that you do now? Could you lose all that if it was on your shoulders? Absolutely. We walk through this world and it's dark and sometimes we step on its Legos. But the word of God says, here's the light of it. It illuminates that our God is a heavenly father and he cares for you more than a market ever could. More than your investments, more than any fire mitigation ever could, our God has got you. And in the midst of that, can we seek him? Can we pursue him with everything? Can we trust that our God who created the universe is enough to take care of us? Can we look and say that a God who creates all of this amazing nature cares for you so much more that you're not just his creation, but his recreation? That's the power of the word of God to set us free. That's what it equips us for. Truth. And with that, it defends the enemy's attacks. There's an amazing shield called faith, and faith has got to be in the right things, and the Word of God tells us what is true, what we can actually put our faith in. So we are shielded in the right way when the enemy comes without. I'll tell you a short story. When I was going through my worst times a few years back, everything I seemed to be doing for God was seeming to go the wrong way right? I was, uh, Amy and I were trying to do everything healthy and my wife was in the hospital more days than she was home, right? So we were trying to honor God with our bodies and that wasn't working. 
right? We were trying to honor God with our relationship, but it's really hard to, to build a relationship when your wife's in the hospital all the time, right? Not able to have deep conversations, and we were lonely, both of us, and it was difficult. We were trying to honor God with that, and it wasn't working, and I was tithing, and we had so many medical bills. It was like a mountain. It was never going to end. It was crazy. It felt like everywhere that I was trying to honor God. I was trying to honor God here at the church, and, and then my mentor decides, is it time to go? And I felt abandoned. It was tough. I was in a dark time. And those dark times was, well, I was my, my experience of God was black. And what made me so mad is I read in the word and, and God reveals himself as white. And I was like, how can this God who I know loves me enough that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and raise his head? I, I know that happened. I mean, from what God revealed himself to be in scripture and through history does not line up with my experience now. And the enemy attacked because I was having a difficult time. And so you know what I did? I went to Boulder. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get out of town. And that was the same time I became lead pastor because God has a good sense of humor. Right? He's like, now that you're really going to have to rely upon me, you don't even like me. Why don't you serve me even more publicly? Well, thank you, Lord. So uh, one thing about being lead pastor is I get to watch the NFL again. So that was great. So I went to Boulder to buy a TV. And not just TV, I was going to get a big TV. And I wanted to be selfish. Right? I wanted to go and to not think about the church or God for a little while. I wanted to think about the NFL. That's what I wanted to do. And so my heart, my motive weren't great. But this is how God's word helped me. As I went down to Boulder and God met me there in a TV store. Because our God is good. And this is how I did it. They have these TVs and, uh, and they have these little things in there called pixels. And pixels are like little dots of light. They're little tiny things that light up, right? And so TV nerds are all about pixels. I didn't know this, but they had this little magnifying glass. Like you go to see a jeweler and those little magnifying glass and you put it right up on the screen and you could see the pixels. And this TV nerd guy was teaching me about the pixels. And so we would look at, we'd watch that movie Avatar and he froze it on this frame and he was so impressed by this. And he would show me, and like we would look at the areas that it was light, it was white, and it would be like, wow, that's really bright. And there was these three colors that were glowing really, really bright. And I was like, wow, that is bright. And then he showed me the blue ones they put over their skin, and it was like really blue. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But then the part that was amazing is he put it over the black part, and it was so black, so black. Those pixels just looked like just the darkest, inky blackness. And apparently that's impressive for a TV guy. So I bought that TV. But the thing was, is that God met me right there. The word of God that I knew that I clung to just with the, just the edge of my, my fingers, I was just clinging to God. Saying, God, I can't, I don't know if I can trust you because who I experienced you right now is so different than how you revealed yourself. And right at that moment, as I was looking at that pixel, he said, Aaron, that is your life. You're the black pixel right now. Your life is black. He wasn't invalidating my pain. My world was pretty black. But the word of God, the scripture, was the whole screen. It wasn't just my experience. It was experience of people throughout time as God has revealed himself. The amazing thing was that my pixel was going to change. It's not going to stay black forever. It's a motion picture. It's not a painting. How silly was it for me to try to paint God to say, because my pixel is black, the whole screen is black. And that's what I was doing. In that moment, God's word came to me and the reverse reminded me of the very truth of the matter that Jesus said that 
that God so loved the world, included me, that he gave himself, his only son. All I had to do was believe in him and I wouldn't perish, I'd have eternal life. God's word reminded me that Jesus said, I send you out into this world for my purposes to build my kingdom. And guess what? Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's word reminded me of the, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's word reminded me of that. And at the moment that I felt vulnerable, God's word was a shield and an offense around me. And in a little tiny TV store in Boulder, God showed up and set me free. He gave me what I needed. I was thoroughly equipped for good work. And so I left the store with a new TV and a renewed faith. That's the power of God's word. We need to make sure that we don't go into this world alone. It's not your own thinking. It's not your own faith. It's not your own power that's going to be able to transform this world. You need the tools of Scripture, which is why we need to hear it and read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it and be, apply it into our lives. And it doesn't, just, it doesn't just slice against the enemy. God's word is a double-edged sword. It does is that, that it cuts the other way too. It sets us free from our own bad thinking. It sets us free from the very things that hold us into bondage. God's word is a powerful thing and it is the tool that empowers that change. You know, when I was uh, young and I was married and I got stuck in seeing some impure things online and I got stuck in that, what set me free wasn't me feeling guilty about it. I felt guilty about it on day one. First time I saw something, I felt guilty about it. I wanted to stop but I couldn't, what set me free? It was God's word. It was as I began to, to see that his call for me was purity, that it wasn't a call to, to, to something that was bad, but as a dying to myself was exactly a reasonable act of worship, that his call to me gave me great instructions about how I needed to, to accept accountability, that I'd be open to that, how I needed to bring to God my failings and to say to God, you know what, I need your help. It allowed me to be able to go and receive mercy when I needed it most and grace as I needed it through the process of God restored purity to myself. It was God's word was the equipment that God used to set me free. And it sets us free from all kinds of sins. In fact, anyone, because it says it's for every good work. So God's word prepares us, it equips us, and the last thing it does is, is I think the most fun is it empowers us. It doesn't just send us out there to say, here's the equipment, here's the training, good luck. Let's not forget that this is the word of the almighty God. This is a supernatural book. It's a living document. It changes us. It, it is sharper than two-edged sword. It says it does surgery in us. It guides and directs us, but it also empowers our very living. That's the part to do every good work. That's the purpose. The word of God is supposed to work in you and work through you. And the work that it does will be known as good. Do you want good works to come in your life and through your life? Every good one, God has empowered it right in this. The Bible, how does it keep us good? It keeps us with God for starters. I'll tell you, I have never made great decisions when I've been rebellious against God, when I try to do bad things, right? When I want to do things my way, I'm like, Lord, I know you tell me to act this way, but I don't want to. I've never made a good decision doing that. Or I've really never made a good decision. It's like, God, I bet you have something to say on this, but I don't really want to hear it because I'm afraid it's not going to tell me what I want to hear, which is more likely. And so I'll just play the ostrich and put my head in the sand. 
Do you know how many ostriches get eaten by wolves or, 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 or things where they put their head in the sand? That's not a good strategy. <laughs> when I read the word and it tells me what is right, I may not like what it shows me, but I'm glad that it shows me what's real. And then it shows me how I can have a relationship with God. Even at times where I feel so distant or he feels so quiet, it shows me how to stay with him because that's where the power is. It also helps me uh, hear God. People are like, I wonder what God has for me. Well, oftentimes he's told us in his word, you don't need any super duper direction like, you know, today put on your red pants, right? God, most of the time he gives us a direction in his word. He tells us how to live. And, and we can't get to heaven and be like, you didn't give me a direction. He's like, I gave it to you. You didn't read it. You didn't apply it. Most things in life, he directs us here, but I'll tell you, there are those times that you need prayer and you need to say, God, I, I'm really looking for your wisdom in this thing. How do you know you're listening to him? Because each of us has this little voice inside of our heads that can do a really good God impersonation that'll make us think that we're following God when really we're just following whatever we want. And that's what we get to talk about next week. How do we begin to have that powerful faith, a faith that follows really God, but how do you hear from him? You have to start learning to listen to him. Right? If I went... 100 years ago and, and try to do a Donald Trump impersonation to the people back then, they'd have no idea if it was a good impersonation or not. Right? Because they never heard him. Now, when I do a Donald person impersonation, you know, it's a bad one. Because you've heard the real thing. It is the same way in our own hearts and minds. If A lot of times we've fooled ourselves in thinking that we're following God and made horrible choices, and then we blame God for it because we'd never heard him talk. But as you read the word, you begin to listen and hear what God's voice is. And so when he speaks to you in your spirit and your soul, you will have that filter to know this is God talking or not. Helps us to hear him. It also connects us with God's power. God's never going to do something contradictory to his will. That makes sense? So if you want to know what God's, you want to be in line with what God's power is, you want to be in line with God's will in your life. Then you're going to see his power. That's where it happens. This aligns us. It protects you and provides you, puts you right where he's supposed to be so that way you can experience the power of God in your life. So today, as we conclude our, our series on grasping God's word, not just that the Bible is, but where we got it and why it's so powerful but, and how to use it, but why you need it. We need God's word because it prepares us. You need to be prepared. There's a world out there. There's a mission that God puts you into. He, he called you here for a reason, and he's preparing you through it. And if you cannot be thoroughly equipped unless we're spending time in this, it prepares you, equips you, it empowers us for every good work. So next week, as we begin our series on powerful faith, the faith that actually can move mountains, we're going to look at Abraham's life, and I think you'll be pretty encouraged by that. You really want to be there for it. We have to start with hearing from God, sticking in his words. So let's start with that this week. So before I have the worship team come and close us with some good worship, we want to make sure we're applying this, right? Because you can hear God's word, you can read it. I put it on the screen, right? You can, you can study it. So we've spent some time doing it, right? You, we've meditated and memorized it already. What's the last thing that you need to do? Apply. We have four weeks. We need some application. So how are you going to apply this word today and to your life and, and this week? Well, I'll take your connection card out. I invite you to do that. I have four suggestions, things that you can do to begin to apply the power of God and his word into your life this week. So the first thing that you may want to do, a challenge on that back, 
is maybe you need to do is to memorize 2 Timothy 3.16. I've given you a crazy way to memorize it, but it works. In fact, I loved last Sunday, my, my son came home and he said, Dad, I hate it that that works. I know. <laughs> so memorize God's word. Maybe begin there and start with what it does. It really is useful. There's a use for it. It's going to help you realize things in your life. It's going to illuminate things from the inside out. What is, what is wrong in our lives? Right? It's going to correct us, give us better direction, teach us to do what is right. Maybe you start by memorizing God's word this week. 2 Timothy 3.16. How about this? Maybe you want to read the Bible, and I'm going to, ca- with us this year, start with the Bible app. It's a great way to go. If you don't like apps, then let us know. We'll get you a paper copy. Uh, you, there's lots of other ways to do it, but I encourage you to get the habit of getting the word of God into your heart and your lives. Or maybe what you need to do is you need to pray for opportunity. What is that for? As God prepares us, you read God's word, you're in, you're going to say, God, I want now want opportunity to be able to apply this word in my life. So you're asking God to give you that application, the opportunity to begin to obey him, right? To follow him. That's part of being a disciple. Or maybe what you need to do this week is say, you know, I'm going to invite a friend next week. Why? Well, it's one of the things that God called us to do, to go to all peoples, to help them come to faith and help them grow in faith. You know, we have a lot of all peoples in our community that still need to know the faith. We're going to be talking about powerful faith this next week, about a real God who can really change things, a a faith that moves mountains, a faith that endures, a faith that actually works. If this would be helpful, maybe you pray and say, God, help me to know and invite somebody to come so they can hear the gospel, the power of a real God who loves them. I mean, that's what your challenge is this week. Whatever your challenge is, I encourage you also to write your connection, your prayer requests. I do pray for you every week. Prayer is powerful. So let me know how I can pray with you. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offerings. Take our offering. Please take these connection cards along with your commitments and your tithes and your offerings. Drop those in the offering basket as it's passed. Now as the worship band comes out, let me pray for you. And then we'll close with some good worship. Let's do it. Father God, thank you for those that are here today. I am so happy to know that you love us that you are a God who is present, that you've spoken to us, you revealed yourself through Scripture. And thank you for the miracle that it is. Help us to revere it in the right way and to apply it into our lives. And this year, Lord, as we set about this, uh, uh, this endeavor to go through your word, may it not be a burden, but Father, I pray that we would meet you in the word this year, that, that your Scripture would do exactly as it's claimed to do, that it would thoroughly equip us prepare us, train us, Lord, that we would help us to realize what's going wrong in our lives, that it would correct us in what we're doing wrong, but it would teach us in a real profound way to do what is right. Well, I pray for that blessing over each of these that are here, that you would do your work in them and through them, through your word. Father, we pray too for the commitments that we've made today, not as a legalistic act of something we have to do, but Father, I pray that, that as an expression of our faith and worship to you, that you would help us to meet you this week, to experience who you are, the Father, and to see your power in our lives. Would you please bless us with that? We, Father, we pray too for the tithes and offerings that we give to you. Another, again, another expression of our worship and faith in you. Would you please take these gifts, use them as a, as a, I say, as a portion of your power to, to build your kingdom here in Estes Park so that others can come to know you, who you truly are. And we lift all this to you in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.